Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. This episode of the podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Maggie Wedemeyer. Hello, Maggie. Hello. <laughs> and we're here uh, to discuss how she got into packaging, the usual conversations, or how she fell into packaging. Um, actually, Maggie got into packaging. <laughs> Most people that I know have fallen into it, but Maggie's gotten into it. So let's start off by me just uh, bumping into you at a a SIBS function or industry function, and I say, uh, hi, who are you? Hello, Ted. I am Maggie Wedemeyer. I own a company called Benevolent Beauty, and I do package sourcing, filling, procurement, shipping, probably anything you can possibly imagine for small brands. Awesome. Um... But I think my big thing I want to share with the group is how I got into packaging and how I think I'm one of the few people that has actually stayed within my degree from college my entire career. Um, I went to school, Michigan State. I'm from Michigan. Go green. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I kind of fell into packaging into the major. I started at Michigan State as a... I was a... I was looking at the engineering major because I wanted to make prosthetics and I wanted to do biomedical engineering. And so two years of being in the engineering school and I started this class Fortran, which kind of kicked my butt. (laughs) I remember Fortran. We're aging ourselves. And everyone, well, everyone in there said that it didn't exist. It wasn't a computer language that anyone used, but they wanted me to understand the theory. And I completely, it was over my head. Everyone in the class had taken the class two or three times. I'm a complete type A person, and I couldn't, it didn't compute that I had to take this class to fail it to take it again. So I went to my counselor, and I said, I just can't do this. I don't think I should be in the engineering major, blah, 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 blah. And she said, you know, you should go and look around the school. And you should look at the university. We have many, many different degrees. You should see what else is available, but I think technical is where you should stay. So I called my parents, I called my aunt and uncle, and I said, oh my God, what do I want to be when I grow up? (laughs) And my uncle at the time was like, "Uh, you should check out this major packaging. Like, I knew a couple kids that were in packaging, you should check it out. I don't know enough, but I think you would like it. So I went to the school, um, and I said, hey, can I like sit in on a class? And they're like, oh, you should go to Packaging 101. So sat in on a class, this really, really great professor, Professor Abbott, and he went through the history of packaging, starting from like filling up a bag with what you want to take home to getting into computer packaging. So everything you could possibly imagine. And I was like, huh, I kind of like this stuff. I'm kind of creative. I'm kind of engineering. I'm kind of everything, and it could marry together. So I switched over to packaging, and it was amazing. So I graduated. I did an internship in foam packaging. Um, I worked for this company, Tuscarora, for a summer, and we did foam packaging for um, computers, for dishes, for vacuum cleaners, for anything. So hands-on for drop testing, hands-on where we actually had a drill press and we had to tweak the shape and the size to make something pass. We had a CNC machine that would cut the foam. We had, like, everything possible. 
So it was really great, but I knew I didn't really want to get into just um, tertiary packaging. And so one of our customers was in cosmetics, and I asked the salesperson, hey, can I tag along? And we went out to Calvin Klein in Mount Olive, and I went on a sales call. And so I was like, oh, my God, okay, epiphany, this is what I want to do. So went back to Michigan State, graduated, sent my resume to every cosmetic company I could possibly think of. And surprisingly, Calvin Klein called and said, hey, come out for an interview. So I interviewed and um, got the job, but they're like, we don't have a budget to relocation because I was moving from Michigan. They're like, if you show up on this Monday, then you have the job. But if you pay for everything yourself, load up your car, then it's on you. Called my parents, said, oh my God, I got a job. Started two days after I graduated. My parents helped me load the car, drove out to New Jersey from Michigan and found a place and started the next day. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so I definitely I definitely stayed in packaging and I've definitely stayed in beauty for over 20 years. I absolutely love it. Okay, wow. So you probably are the only person that I know that really started and stayed with it yeah. versus falling into it. Correct. So that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, so we got you from switching majors because yeah. Fortran kicked your butt. <laughs> yes. um, and I too had a problem with Fortran Good because I knew that nobody used it. Right. So my Practicality, interest was, right. I just wanted to get through the class and get out of it. <laughs> so first job, major fragrance company, Correct. Calvin Klein. <laughs> um, what did you do when you first got there? So they had just launched Contradiction. So to date myself, um, they uh, they were going through this big launch, and I remember the excitement was it was literally shipping because they actually filled at the facility as well. It was literally shipping out the door and going to all these markets, and they were losing product in Miami, meaning black market was picking it up mm -hmm. and changing pricing and selling wherever. Falling off the back of the truck. Falling off the back of the truck and falling off ships to Puerto Rico and all this stuff with juice and just like craziness. Um, so they had us go down and they had us start marking shippers and saying box one of blah, 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 box two of blah, 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 because they didn't have, of course, a coding system or scanning system, mm. but they wanted to know when they sent out, um, a truckload, how many pieces were actually getting to the store level, getting to the distributors. So that was the first, uh, the first job in the middle of summer in New Jersey, which was super fun with no air conditioning. Um, and then the second was they had to start um, shipping things over to Canada, but they, I think it was the green dot system, and they needed weights and measures of every single item in the company to put Ooh. into a database, which sounds kind of overwhelming. Um, I think it took me about two, two and a half months to put everything in, but it was actually a great start because um, I had to pick up and touch and feel and see every part of a package. So the pumps, the collars, the bottom label, the shipper, the bottle, the tube, the gift set, the vac form, the sleeve, absolutely everything, which was kind of a big learning curve. Because coming from college, you're studying something in a book, you're looking at machinery, you're looking at a line, you're not really looking at cosmetic packaging. So it was great. Well, that's good. That's actually probably worked out good on both fronts because I'm sure 
your boss didn't want to do it. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how I got the job. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, the best way to learn is to touch and feel each of the different parts and you probably had to review the drawings and, and everything. So that's kind of a good boot camp. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So that I did not know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so you're the low man on the totem pole doing the job nobody wants to do. Correct. But you grew from there. I did. Um, and I had a, a really great group of engineers. So there are about eight of us. And surprisingly, all of us have stayed in contact in the industry. Good. And I'd say the Calvin Klein crew was almost where I learned the most. Um, and here I was a girl from Michigan moving out to Jersey. I wasn't ready for the big city, but it taught me um, so much. So it was great socially. It was just like a really great group of people. Um, but sadly, I only stayed for a year because I got a call from L'Oreal that they were hiring. And I thought, huh, a year's really good. I've seen all the packaging at Calvin Klein. I might need to go on. Hey, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with moving up. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I actually interviewed at L'Oreal in their promotional division for fragrance. And so I got a job in South Brunswick, Jersey, and we were doing promo gift sets for Ralph Lauren um, and a few of their other fragrances. And that was a whole new world, too, with printing technologies, um, value analysis of how to pack them properly, yet sustain the drop test. So when I got to the store, the bottles were still in there. They weren't breaking. But that I didn't spend extra money or have foam peanuts or something like that. Okay. So... A lot of press time, a lot of um, going for startups and making sure packouts were right, and a lot of learning on the job. But that's what L'Oreal is good for. It was, because yeah. then, as we met later, I then transferred into primary under Ralph Lauren Fragrances to do bottles and caps. Um, and that, I had said Calvin Klein was kind of where I learned a lot, but I would say L'Oreal is where I learned how to be an engineer. So I remember working and one of the women there, Maria, gave me a book like after my first month and it was how to be an engineer. And it told me how to do headspace. It told me how to look at a drawing and do stack ups of the dimensions. So I'd less likely to have leakage problems, not 100%. Um, it told me what 132nd in a decimal form was. It told me like what type of plastics to use with what type of filling materials and lotions and creams. So she had compiled over the years, and I remember she um, was trying to decide if she should just stay home with her kids or if she should go into, like, a legal format of packaging. And she was like, I have all this knowledge I need to share. So it was good. It was so a you were the lucky, yeah, I lucky was. recipient of that. <laughs> I still because, have it. <laughs> uh, that book would be valuable. Yes, yep. Because, uh, you know, when, when I would... When I used to run an engineering department, that's the kind of information I would give to people starting off just to help them get over the learning curve. Right. You know, I learned it the hard way. It doesn't mean the next person has to do the same. Right. So. And I remember like everything I would write down, but you wouldn't know where to pull it from in the moment of, oh my God, this bottle's leaking. What did you do? What were your calculations? And you're like, ugh. So versus you could just pull it out, do the calculations and show them that... You did base it on fact. It just doesn't work. So, mm -hmm. well, I think I just gave you a good book idea. I know. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Maria. Hey, right. I remember Maria, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, L'Oreal is where we met. 
Correct. And then, so L'Oreal, so I started in promo, then I went over for primary. Um, I worked on Ralph Lauren fragrances and glass, and then there's an opportunity for Maybelline. So um, that was interesting because it was the first time I had been in makeup in my career. Because back in the day, Calvin was only fragrance. Mm -hmm. So it was good. I stayed for a year. I had a really great boss, Cynthia, who um, taught me so, so very much um, how to send an email, how to answer the phone, um, what to tell a supplier, how to get the real answer, how to dig through. Um, I was on one of the task force to do value analysis with Fred Thiel, who is mm -hmm. purchasing. Um, and I remember going to a plastics factory and we had to weigh the plastic pellets to see if we were getting the right price per pound that they were quoting for a formed cap. Wow. That sounds like Fred's involvement. <laughs> uh, so going all the way down to the level of their incoming raw materials was kind of enlightening too, because I had seen vacuum, um, I had oh. seen thermoforming, I had seen t different types of processes, but I hadn't seen making a cap in person. Some injection molding. Injection molding. Right. So yeah, it was interesting. Okay. And L'Oreal mm -hmm. is, is very good at breaking out each segment that adds up to a cost. Correct. So that doesn't surprise me at all. To the pallet count, to the weight, to how many on a truck, to, yeah. Wow. Like, we used to deal like in the fourth decimal point just for the value analysis team. So wow. it's interesting. It's good, good <laughs> lessons to learn. Yeah. Um, and then I stayed at Maybelline for about a year, and then I wanted to go to the big city because I had been in Jersey since I moved there. Felt comfortable, felt confident, and applied for a um, Maybelline job in the city, which was more dealing with marketing, creative. And at the time, it just didn't work out. It wasn't the right team. It wasn't the right interview questions. It wasn't, I don't know what it was, but it just didn't, it didn't gel together. Um, and so I was really gung-ho about moving, and I wanted to live in Hoboken, and I wanted the city girl life. And so I actually applied to Cody, who was in the city as well, and I moved on to Cody. So Cody was a fragrance-based, celebrity fragrance-based. Mm -hmm. um, went in, and I worked for this really great guy, Bill Bonacera, who told me everything you could possibly know to survive corporate. So the packaging stuff I'd learned at L'Oreal, the lifestyle I'd learned at Calvin Klein, but this was how to survive corporate, what forms to fill out, how to answer um, questions from marketing, how to present to marketing, how to stay within budget, how you should do a program, how you should give a little bit of padding time that nobody knows about because everything always runs over. Um, it was great. It was really great. I worked on the Stetson fragrance brand, um, and I thought it was a bit antiquated until I went in and, like, there's a whole group of people that Stetson is really their passion and their lifestyle, and it was amazing. We would go to these events. They would have Stetson. They would have our fragrance. They would have the hats, and it was just, like, it was just eye-opening that wow. people were so passionate about something and they would support a whole fragrance to go with that. That's an interesting demographic. Yeah, it was. Do you remember where the demographic was? Yeah, we were down um, in Texas. Uh, sounds about right. Okay. So okay. It, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was fun. Um, and then at the time, my boss had said, you know, we're just launching a Celine Dion fragrance. Do you want to get on board? 
And I said, oh my God, absolutely. And then a couple months later, we're about to launch a baby fat fragrance. Do you want to get on board? So I was always the one that was like, give me more, give me more. Like I, I want to learn. I want to know more. Um, I liked working with marketing. I liked working with creative, listening to the crazy things they wanted to do, and then trying to do my best to um, match what they were looking for. Um, I remember we went to a meeting with Kamora Lee Simmons, and she whipped out a yellow diamond, her, her diamond that was probably like 20 carats at least, and said, I want to match this for color. And I want this on my fragrance bottle. I want it to be a ring around the collar of the fragrance pump. And I'm sitting there, like, first in awe of being in front of the celebrity, second in being in front of this large diamond. You and I was like, can I take it home? For color matching purposes only. <laughs> my boss was there next to me, and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been a great opportunity. We didn't have Instagram back then. Yeah, that exactly. I don't, I don't even know if I think I had just gotten a cell phone. Um, <laughs> and so we were trying to figure out pictures and all that good stuff. But it was it, every job I've had has been a wealth of information. And I love trying new things, learning new things. And I feel like interacting with great and smart people that are at these different companies have really helped me. Because everyone was willing to mentor and tell me, hey, watch out for this, watch out for that. Yeah. But because you're curious and willing to take on the work, yeah. those are the people that get helped. Yep. It was so, good. It was good. <laughs> and we, we try to give little bits of advice to young and upcoming packaging people. And, you know, one common theme is to be curious. Correct. And, and always ask the questions. Be curious. And then once you've learned something, pay it forward. So if you know a trick, if you know... Um, if you know a technical answer that hardly anyone else knows, share it with everyone else. Mm -hmm. So, That's good advice. Yeah. Um, so I stayed at Cody for a couple years, and then I got a call from Inner Parfum, which was a French company that does private label for large, um, large clothing brands mainly. Mm -hmm. And so they had the Burberry license in uh, Europe, and domestically they were working on the Gap. They had just got the Gap contract. Um, they were working on BB, like stuff like that. And they said, hey, we have this opening. We just got the Gap contract. We have to launch 120 products in four months, four and a half months. Do you want to join our team? <laughs> <laughs> you are a glutton for punishment. I am. <laughs> so I was like, absolutely. Um, and at the time we were working on, I had met my husband and we were engaged and we were working on the budget for the wedding and I knew I needed an extra bump in, in salary and so it came at the, the perfect time. Um, and so when I went into the interview, I was like, this is great, but just so you guys know, in nine months I'm getting married in Italy and so I kind of need two weeks off before you probably would give me any vacation. So the art of the deal. <laughs> yeah, 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 be upfront I, about it. Yep, I said I would do their... Um, their shortened timeline launch for the gap and then hopefully they would help me out later which was great um so we pulled it off we made all the items but this was my first introduction into china manufacturing of packaging components mm -hmm. and i say this with kind of a little drum roll um because it's been great i absolutely love dealing with asia um i love maybe i like the challenge <laughs> um of going through everything but as a girl from Michigan who was submerged into the auto industry with my parents, my grandparents, 
all the jobs going overseas, I was always kind of jaded. And I thought, oh my God, this is like horrible. How could they take the jobs? How could they do this? And I remember my first trip to China going for a glass startup. And I walked off the plane and I was like, ugh. And the girl that met me was lovely, amazing, talkative, sharing, creative, gave me, took care of anything I could possibly want, knowing I was a, a single female in a different country. Mm -hmm. um, and took me to every factory, and every factory owner spoke to me equally, and I didn't have to play a game to get any answers. They took me out to the production floor. They trusted I was an engineer. We spoke a little bit of broken English, um, but mainly we communicated with drawings, mm -hmm. so technical drawings. And numbers. And numbers, mm -hmm. and a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so we would get the first bottles off the tool. I would see something that, of course, marketing would not like, and I would draw a picture, point to it, and do whatever. They would make the modification on the tool. We would wait for the bottles to come through again and then approve. So Nice. That's it. Great experience. It was amazing. Working internationally is a great experience <laughs> because you, you end up having to learn the culture as well. Correct. Because you can't talk to people in China the way you can talk to someone in the U.S. to help motivate them. Correct. So I um, still talk to that, that woman who met me at the plane. We're still good friends. She owns a trading company. I buy most of my packaging from her now. It's awesome. Um, but she has helped, I speak broken English to her because that's the level of her understanding, mm -hmm. um, leaving out prepositions, leaving out different adjectives. And my daughter now always cracks up and she's like, oh, is that Frida? <laughs> she was like, are you talking China English? So it's, it's just a whole different mentality. Um, but I love it. Um, I've been over there, gosh, for, for inner perfume, I used to stay three months at a time. And I was probably there six to nine months out of the year with back-to-back -back trips in between. And it was easier. Sometimes it's easier just to get on a plane. So 18-hour plane ride. Mm -hmm. um, now it's no big deal. <laughs> like To me, it's easier to see someone in person, make your pretty drawing, and get it fixed. And at this point, like I would go for two or three days and then hop back on the plane to come back. Wow. Because when you're doing things over a computer or Skype or um, any type of video conferencing, the communication level just sometimes it doesn't get translated. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's much easier. It's opened up the world to me. Um, much more confident to show up at a factory and be like, hey, let's just make this change, which is kind of bad now for U.S. suppliers because I feel like hey, let me in, show me what's behind the curtain, tell me how you're making this, why am I getting this defect, no, I don't want to sit in this conference room, no, I don't want to have a cup of coffee, like, let me in. So I think it was great. It taught me a lot. Um, and at the time, too, I um, would report into the CEO, and we would actually be in charge of the cost sheets. And he was another one that liked the fourth decimal point. Mm -hmm. And so validating why a bottom label needed a 0 .0001 increase because marketing is looking for a better aesthetic. And so he's a great Frenchman. I feel like I got my business degree reporting into him, going through projects, traveling, um, being in charge, actually going in front of the customer. We, I was working on Brooks Brothers, and I would report into the owner of Brooks Brothers over a fragrance bottle we were launching. 
and he his background was um, eyeglasses. And he's like, I know in my father's factory, I grew up in my father's factory, and I know you can print an image to the very edge on an eyeglass. Why can't I print my sheep logo on the very edge of a glass bottle? And so getting into technical details as well and knowing from going into the factories, knowing you can't do that because you have to have a tolerance and glass has a different size and a different shape and a different, just you have too many molds to follow and there's no way you can go precisely where I then later learned how eyeglasses were made because he was telling me what his tolerances were versus my glass bottle. So I just found like my whole career I kept learning and learning more to then have more responsibility, to have a better job title, to be interactive with customers and factories, and it just all worked really well together. Which led to? (laughs) Which led to 2011, January, and by then we had gotten married, my husband and I, and now we were starting to talk about having children. And I went to my CEO and I said, hey, um... I'm spending six to nine months of the year in China, kind of hard to start a family. Like, what do you think? Is there a way I can cut back? And I was hiring um, people then. I had a whole group. And uh, I said, can I send those people? And he said, I hired you for this job. This is the job I pay you for. If you can't do the job, you can go on disability for $79 a week. And I said, oh, that's good. Um, Kind of a demotion. At that point, I was VP of packaging. Um, And so kind of a demotion in salary. And so I was like, okay, if I figure out a way to have the baby, then maternity leave. And he's like, we don't offer maternity leave. And at the time, New York City, you didn't have to offer maternity leave. Oh, wow. So you could go on disability again for For $79. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I won't even buy your pampers. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I said to my husband, I was like, you know, I really like, we're at this point. I need to start my family life. um, But I really like what I do. So I think, what if I start a consulting gig? And he's like, okay, let's try it. Like, we were living in Hoboken. We had a great apartment. We were by the city. We knew contacts. I'd been in the industry by then for, like, 12 years. And I'm like, okay. So I went in. I uh, resigned. And I was actually sad. I really, really loved that job. Um, I loved the travel, the autonomy, the control of all the projects. But it was time to move on. So I started Benevolent Beauty in January of 2011. And I started consulting. There's all these salespeople who can sell, or back then could sell in a program to Target, but had a pretty picture. They didn't have a bottle. They didn't have a cap. They didn't know how to fill it. They didn't know what fragrance houses were. They didn't know technical um, copy that needed to be on for legal reasons. They didn't know what countries they wanted to distribute in. They didn't know the shipper should be by 24, where the label should go on the shipper. So... I was um, lucky to meet about three of them when I first started my company. So I worked with three different uh, gentlemen who had pretty much the same scenario. They had sold into Target, Walmart, and I think CVS. And they were looking to make a pretty picture into reality and how quick could I do it. So sourced all the packaging from Asia. Um, we worked with local filling companies in Jersey. We worked with the fragrance houses and we got the items out. Um, and so that worked like for about nine months. And thankfully, 
Uh, one of my customers at the time when I was at Inner Perfumes was Anthropology, okay. and I got along great with them because they wanted everything to look different, and so it was completely different than everyone else in the beauty industry where it has to be comp- it has to be one hundred percent perfect, has to be repetitive, has to be duplicated. Anthro wanted the one offs. Hmm. So when I had worked at Inner Perfumes, we worked with handmade glass factories. We worked with handmade cap factories, um, low volumes, but where you could tweak something to look different. So after about nine months of being out on my own, um, the buyer contacted me and she's like, oh my God, I miss you. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, "Um, all the other companies want me to do a round bottle, a round cap and slap a label on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just can't sell that to my customer. She's coming in to, to the stores and she wants something different. So she's like, um, the buyer said, what are you doing? Do you want to take us on? And do you want to work with us on a new lipstick line? And I said, oh, this is interesting. Almost my whole career, except for the little time at Maybelline, but almost my whole career has been fragrance. Um, yep, yeah, I'm up for the challenge. Let's do it. So we met... Um, I remember going into New York City downtown and meeting at cafes and looking at um, antique lipstick cases online and physically she would buy them. And she's like, this is what I want it to look like. Can you make it? So at the time I had, um, I had worked with Jeff Joss, who's a technical engineer designer. And I said, okay, um, can you help me create a technical print that I could send over to China and see what we can do? And I knew I needed to go to China because I knew the European um, suppliers of packaging for lipsticks, but I knew that their minimums were 50, 75, 100,000 pieces at a time. And I knew their tooling dollars were about 35 to $60,000. And this opportunity with Anthro, I had to fund it myself. Oh. So they were coming to me to fully design, well, not design, but to fully develop, fill, finish product, keep it, and then ship out per month for each order. So all on my dime and working for a percentage of the retail price. So of course I was, uh, I'd learned how to do cost sheets at Inner Perfumes. I knew how much money was needed to get started and I knew I needed to go to China because I had so many friends at the time, they let me do a new tool for about $2,500. Wow. And they let me do 5,000 pieces for the opening order. Wow. So we all took a chance on each other. Um, It was really, really complex. I ended up going over there twice to try to figure out how to mold the cap. Um, It's in three different directions. It's aluminum. It's stamped. Um, It was quite involved with the weight. And then, of course, the base um, that held the bullet, they wanted a small turning mechanism for the hand with a taller A-shell, which I thought no problem at the time. Until later, when production came in and we started using them, the base fell out because there wasn't enough space for the glue to hold the A-shell. So that was another learning experience. So we did all the production. We found, we worked with Intercost for the filling. Um, We pulled a favor there and they were great. Um, Did all the packaging, did all that, and then got them in. I went to the store and I saw the first pieces and I was like, oh my God, we had sent to one store for photography. I went to use it and the base fell off in my hand. And so we had to ship the first 5,000 pieces order within a week of that photo shoot. 
And I remember getting on the phone and just calling a friend being, oh my God, I have to figure out how to fix this. What can we do? So <clears throat> we took our 5,000 pieces. We um, set up a line at one of my friend's factories and we were, there's a material called tire tape that you can put over when your tire has a puncture. We got a roll of that um, and we put tire tape on the bottom of the A-shell to insert the base that would hold it into place. And then at the same time, for some reason, the A-shell was coming off because there's too much lubricant. So we just had to figure out a way with the tape to make this base stay together. And at the same time, the bullets had already been filled. So we had to make sure not to damage anything. Oh my goodness. And so pulled it off. (laughs) Um, I think we finished the night before at like 4 a.m. And the truck came at 10 a.m. So it was it was tight, but it was it was successful. So that one project, that one project, one project encompassed your whole packaging experience. (laughs) It did. And business experience. It 100 percent did. It was amazing because I had to know every piece of the package. Mm hmm. Um, the folding carton, we had an embossed folding carton board printed on the inside, hot stamped on the outside. We had to silk screen because the verbiage had to be crisp and black. Mm-hmm. Like I had to know every process. So it was the one package. Wow. So after that, you knew, <laughs> okay, I could do this. <laughs> I could do this. I could do this by using other manufacturers to do my filling. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a key caveat there. Um, and so uh, the lipstick line did really well. It was their number one top seller for private label in the whole company. Mm. Um, and usually beauty is only like 1% or 2% of sales, but it did really, really well. And so the line expanded. We got into fragrance, cheek stick, shimmer stick, a contour palette, lip balm, lip gloss tubes, um, keeping that whole idea of what the shape was of that lipstick cap that kind of kicked my butt at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But now I could replicate it, so it was great. Awesome. Awesome. That's uh, some serious, uh, <laughs> serious experiences. And I mean, and Benevolent is still here today. Benevolent's still here today. And then so we started that first lipstick was on on counter in the fall of 2012. Um, and then in 2016, Anthropology reached out and they said, hey, you've been working at a great margin for private label. Um we really need some extra dollars to sell, to start doing more advertising, to start doing sampling, to start doing this. We'd like to triple our quantity, but ask for a lower margin, which margin means I was selling a lipstick at $18. We were selling it at, we, I would get 40% of that, they would get 60%. <laughs> Um, And out of my 40% was the cost of the packaging, the cost of the designer, the cost of filling, all that good stuff, assembly, shipping, trucking. And so they asked us to go down to 20%. Whoa. And so offsetting... They wanted you to make nothing. Well, offsetting that, they said, we'll triple triple the business. So I was like, okay, like if we're doing about 100,000 lipsticks at that point per year, and I was like, oh, that's a really great quantity. Um, Yes, we'll do it, right? And so at the time, I was nine months pregnant with my third baby. So I, I say that my brain wasn't all there. Um, but I said, absolutely can't wait. Let's do it. So we agreed in April. And I don't know where my brain was at the time, but I didn't realize that they wanted to launch in September. 
Because I would think we'd Triple been, the quantity. We'd, be, we'd been working together for so many years, they kind of knew my lead time, and I thought we were under the same impressions. Um, but they said, yeah, we have to make it. We have to make it on counter for September. So I had my third baby at the end of March, um, and the one thing being an entrepreneur is maternity leave is not so much. Um, it's just like your last the job before. Correct, <laughs> correct. So here <laughs> I was looking this. for the whole package, but I was able to um, be close to my kids when I have them. I have three kids um, and have them and be home, but the personal time and all that good stuff um, is kind of non-existent. But I digress. Um, and so I had this great contract. I was ready to go. I'm like, hell or high water, I'm going to deliver these lipsticks. Let's see what we can do. So I called our filler. Um, well, first I called packaging. And so I called China and I said, hey, can I get this? And they're like, okay, we can put it on the line, but you're going to have to pay for air shipping. I'm like, okay, another fee I didn't anticipate, mm -hmm. but you know what? I made this commitment. They're taking a big gamble on me. Let's do it. <clears throat> so then I called the filler com filling company and I said, oh my God, you guys, like, finally I have a big quantity. You're going to be so great. Like, this is how many pieces I need. And I need it by, like, I think it was, like, September 15th or 16th. And they started laughing, and they were like, of when? And I was like, of 2016. And they are like, yeah, we could deliver that size order in February or March of 2017. Whoa. <clears throat> and so by this point, I'd already ordered the packaging. Um, I thought the filling would be no problem, but apparently it was. I panicked for a couple days called every lipstick supplier, manufacturer that I could think of, and no one had line time. No one could duplicate the formula. It, it just couldn't be done. So, hell or high water, I um, hired a lab to duplicate my formulas, um, paid them for the formulas, paid them to do the color matching for the existing nine shades we had, and then asked them to introduce me to the raw materials suppliers so I could order the raw materials because I had decided I was going to make the lipsticks myself. Of course. More <laughs> punishment. Hell or high water. Hell or high water um, because I had this great opportunity and I told these guys, like, the whole business was riding on it, so I told them I could deliver. I just couldn't tell them how. And so... Had the formula, had the colors, had the raw materials. I found mixing machines in Long Island. Um, and it was between them and somebody in Arkansas. And the guy in Long Island said he'd personally drive the mixing machines over. So I went with them. And um, by the way, I started all of this in August. And so we had like six weeks till we had to deliver. So got the mixing machines. A friend of a friend of a friend told me about a mold maker in Taiwan who could give me silicone molds for the lipstick so I wouldn't have to flame them. So they would look exactly like what we had done before. Um, ordered those, had them air shipped over. He was super quick, which was great. And then I called a uh, well, so then the lab that made the formula told me the basics of how to make this, what the stages were, when to add the raw materials, how to mix the color, and I tried it, and I poured it, and I couldn't get it out of the mold. And so, couldn't get out of the mold. I tweaked something, I called the guy again, he had me add oil or something, and I went again, and I couldn't get it to freeze in the freezer. 
so I was literally going from a mixing machine that was um, heated like 140 degrees, um, pouring it out of this little handle into like a little barista coffee hand thing, like a creamer, pouring it into my mold, putting it into the freezer, waiting 20 minutes, taking it out of the freezer, taking the lid off, and then trying to get it to go into my lipstick package by hand. Um, couldn't do it, couldn't figure it out. Lots of tears, lots of stress, lots of, uh, lots of things riding on it. And started watching YouTube videos and started Googling like instructions and temperatures. And what I did not realize, I thought I had everything covered, is humidity. So we're making this in September Summer. at this point. Okay. And the first week of September is one of the hottest, most humid times of the year. And the humidity was keeping it from solidifying. So I went in at four in the morning. <laughs> and I had fans and all that, not on the actual product, but just to cool off the space. Um, and I got it to work. Wow. And so... I had a friend at the time who was a chemist, and she came in because I couldn't figure out the color matching. And so I knew how much of the raw materials, how much to put in. Because, again, I'm an engineer. I'm not a chemist at right, all. Right. But I can follow a recipe. Um, so I put the colors in, and it would come out completely different pink than what I wanted it to be, which didn't make sense to me because as an engineer, I'm putting it on the scale. I'm putting it in. And it turned out that the order that you put the pigments in affects what the end result is. And white is my enemy. For some reason, white and I do not get along. <laughs> <laughs> so the first shade I tried doing was a pale pink, which is basically like 70% white and then a little bit of red. And I just couldn't get it done. So she came in, she helped me, um, and we figured it out. And then I had to call a temp agency because at this point, I think I was two weeks from deadline. <clears throat> and the workload was crazy. And I called a temp agency, and I remember the first day they came in, someone stole my phone. Wow. So I remember having, I was so stressed out, and at the time my mom was living with us, and I had gone home for something because my factory is a mile from my house. I'd gone home from something, I saw my mother, and I just started bawling because I was like, of everything that could go wrong, I did not anticipate, and my phone has my formulas and the contacts and the suppliers and all that good stuff right. and so I remember coming back and my mom came with me <laughs> and she like started yelling at everyone in Spanish and uh, told them I needed my phone back and magically it, it appeared in, in the bathroom in the bathroom uh -huh. okay so um we did goodness gracious I think we did 20 hour days for two weeks straight and we made probably 80 percent of the order on time wow and so, huge pat on the back um, for everyone involved that we could pull it off. Huge pat on the back to my husband taking the kids. My youngest was, what, five months old at the time? Mm -hmm. um, huge pat on the back to you. Yeah. <laughs> because it was all riding on your shoulders. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. And wow. so, um, yeah, we did it, and we kept that pace up. We couldn't, we couldn't make it fast enough for them, and we kept that pace up for probably seven or eight months. And so almost 18 to 20 hour days, seven days a week of making all of it. Wow. But I have to say it was the first time we had shipped almost everything on time because our previous supplier filler company, notorious in the industry just for shipping late, but um, we would get product four to six weeks late. And at the time, Anthro would charge 2% per day that you were late off of the invoice. Oh. So... 
even during all these crazy hours, we ha- I had the control to choose my own destiny of, okay, I can deliver a little bit late, but at least I can make it. So wow. it worked out well. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to go deeper in that offline, but that, that's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> let's take a step back. Yep. Back to little Maggie. Yep. What did little Maggie want to do growing up? So I still say this to the day, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Okay. So I'm always curious. I like I like creativity. I like color. I like materials. I like building things. I like making something new. I like seeing a trend but translating it into what, how it works in my life. Mm-hmm. And so... I remember being in kindergarten coloring, saying, if I could color every day, that's the job I want. So somehow it worked out because packaging is about printing and color Mm -hmm. and shade matching. And making pink lip gloss is about coloring just different mediums. So somehow it worked out. Okay. So (laughs) you got to color every day. Yeah, exactly. That's that's awesome. (laughs) Looking back at that little girl coloring wanting to color every day, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give that little girl? Uh, I would say keep doing what you want to do. So definitely take in advice from others. Definitely hear proposed career paths, but be brave enough to go out on your own and be confident enough that you can figure it out. Awesome. That's great advice, not just for little Maggie, but for little Ted. <laughs> I might go home and give it that advice to my son and daughter. I don't know. Um, so you've been in this industry for... 22 years. Yeah. In beauty. It just doesn't sound right because I'm actually 24 years this November. Yeah. And that doesn't sound right. But um, what are the current industry trends that are resonating with you? So I think the whole sustainability, of course, for packaging and Mm -hmm. the questions. I remember being back at Michigan State and studying environmental packaging. And I remember everyone talking about it even then. But you have to, I tell my friends this, but you have to realize that our main job as a packaging engineer is to get the product to a customer without any damage. And so finding out how to do that while being good to the earth is, I think, one of the biggest challenges we all face. Um, I remember lately there's an Amazon post um, where you can call Amazon and you can tell them you don't want a plastic bubble bag shipped, have your product shipped in a plastic bubble bag, that you prefer paper packaging. And all my girlfriends posted um, on social media and said, oh, my God, this is the way to go. We're going to stop using plastic. And I said, that's all well and good, but what are you ordering? And we don't put bubble around products that don't need it. Right. And so if you use paper, 
crumple up a piece of paper and watch what happens. Does that cushion? Does that protect? Does that help you when the FedEx guy is throwing the package onto your porch? Right, kicking it onto your porch. Correct. So for me, it's always a catch-22, but I also just learned that the plastic bubble bags that you get these mailers, if you actually pop all the bubbles, you can put it in the recycle bin at the grocery store, and they'll do it with the regular um, bags. Okay. So that's kind of a win-win because... You get to pop all the bubbles. Correct. <laughs> Which it's my a, children love doing that. Yes. It's a great stress reliever. Great stress reliever. So for me, um, sustainability, definitely. Like I'm definitely, um, I'm really intrigued because someone's trying to make a lipstick um, package out of one material which is kind of unheard of because to support a heated bullet of a lipstick has to be a certain temperature plastic that'll take it. To have the right mechanism that it spins properly has to have a different type of plastic. To then have an aluminum shell over it because the customer thinks it's luxury if you see that. To then have a weight inside that's used with glue and anytime you have the weight in the glue that's a no-no. So it's interesting to me to see if someone can figure out a way. And I know Hermes just uh, launched a refillable lipstick. Okay. And someone had shown me the package a couple years ago, and it was super expensive. And so I can totally see, and kudos to Hermes for actually using it and putting it in the marketplace, because maybe that's the way that you can get it done. So. Or <clears throat> we can stop thinking, you know, based on our 20-plus year yeah. history, and come up with a new mechanism Correct. or a new medium to present lipstick to customers. Or does the customer really need aluminum? Will she be willing to give up some of the bells and whistles that we're all used to, which are really bad processing in the environment, in order to have your lipstick look pretty, but it doesn't really matter if your package doesn't have some facet that we think is the normal right now. Um, super passionate about that. I'm also super passionate in raw materials and ingredients because now that we're actually formulating and filling and doing things, one, of course, I don't want a customer. I don't want my daughter. I don't want my friends using products that are going to harm their health. But two, I don't want my employees touching materials in large, large drums and being immersed in these products because things always fall or things have to be clean. And so coming up with materials and um, formulas that are actually good for you, it's kind of a fine balance, though, because natural, of course, does not have the same feel or the same wearing or staying power. So trying to figure out how to do the raw materials with the best package is kind of where, like my passion is right now, those are the two worlds that I love dipping my toe in and seeing what's available. Okay, so sustainability and clean beauty. Correct. Are the two that... And vegan. And I'm vegan. really, yeah. Okay. Like I think bees do rule the world, and mm -hmm. I think there has to be something other than beeswax and honey. So. Okay. <laughs> I love honey. Though. I, love I know. <laughs> but okay, so... Yeah. Vegan, clean beauty, sustainable packaging. That's mm -hmm. what's got your attention right now. Absolutely. Awesome. That's great. But what about for the future? If you had a crystal ball in front of you, where do you see packaging going for the future? I don't know. Five, it 10, seems 20 years out. I cannot predict. Um, it seems like our whole world is going to be different. 
So every article you read now, the jobs that people have now are not going to be there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be machines. It's going to be electronics. It's going to be a truck that's driven cross-country without a driver. Um, So understanding how to support a distribution center that I don't even know is going to exist, um, I'm just unclear. I have to say I'm super passionate too, which I think you understand now, but in manufacturing, in manufacturing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So while I love going overseas and I love learning that, I actually love going into a facility that could be a small facility that only makes one type of package, but that's local. You don't have to fly it. You don't have to boat it. You can have a truck come and deliver it. You can do things like that. So worrying about worrying about where you're actually purchasing and how that affects the one, the environment, the, but then two, your workers. Mm-hmm. So making sure that there's jobs here too. Right. Oh, that's awesome. That's There's a, a lot of larger companies that are taking it that perspective, not necessarily for the same reasons, mm-hmm. but um, for carbon footprint. But really, you know, that's the story. But really, it's more about the shortening the supply chain. Agreed. Um, <clears throat> being able to react faster. So, you know, my, my current job is with a U.S. manufacturer, but also has an Asia factory. Yep. So it's kind of both, but I can definitely see the interest coming back to companies wanting, larger companies especially, wanting to do um, more manufacturing in the U.S. Which is actually great, because if you would have asked us, what, five, ten years ago? It was impossible. Everyone was going to Asia. Yep. You had retailers that were dictating a price that couldn't be sustained with U.S. manufacturing. So thankfully, I don't think I could ever predicted that manufacturing would come back or be viable. So mm-hmm. that's why it's hard for me to do the crystal ball analysis, because I just... All I have to say is, I think my word of the year is pivot. Mm-hmm. I think that you just have to be willing to pivot... And find a way to make it happen when you see the um, industry shifting. Okay. So, Maggie, I I definitely enjoyed meeting with you and and, and learning even more about you. (laughs) Even though we've known each other for some years, I learned some some new things. Um, And I think uh, a lot of your experiences will benefit um, younger people coming into this industry. And I think it's also motivating for younger people to see that you could do so many different things. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted you on this podcast was because I knew your experiences, you know, really touch a lot of different areas within packaging. And uh, I think that's the main thing we want people to get out of it is that, you know, just because you're in the packaging industry doesn't mean you're just labels or you're just bored. There's opportunities everywhere. True. And even some that we haven't thought of, you know, as things continue to change. So I definitely want to thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Um, If there was someone at Michigan State (laughs) that was uh, interested in packaging, let's say, and wanted to get your input or feedback, um, how would you like people to reach out to you? So definitely on LinkedIn, um, I am up as Maggie G. Wedemeyer, W-E-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Definitely reach out. I love mentoring. I love helping the next generation. I love getting people involved. Um, 
I feel like packaging is really equally balanced between men and women. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can be multifaceted in packaging if you're not the strongest engineer, if you're not the strongest graphic designer, if you're not the strongest something. But if you're really good at keeping 40 balls up in the air, I think packaging is the way to go. Um, everything has a package. It's kind of a good job market for all of us. And I really, really, really would like to stress that if you have any questions, if you want any advice, if you anything, just reach out on LinkedIn and I'm pretty quick at answering. Okay. So we'll share that on our page, cool. uh, your contact info as well. Cool. So thank you for your time, Maggie. Thank you, Ted. It's been great. And I'll let you get back to your busy day because you juggle 40 balls in the air. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Thank Thanks. you. This concludes this episode of the People of Packaging podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Maggie Wedemeyer. She was actually the last episode uh, that I was able to interview before social distancing became a thing. So we definitely wish that uh, you and everyone listening's families are safe and paying attention to what's going on in the world today. And we hope that you stay safe and healthy and stay tuned for the next episode. Take care.